Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Yannick Sinner is having himself a month. The first six times he played Daniil Medvedev, he did not win. Now he's beaten him twice. First, it was the Beijing final. Now it's the Vienna final. Sinner has won it again. This was a three-setter. This was a great match. The vast majority of this week's Monday Match Analysis is going to be breaking that one down. But Felix Ojeda-Aliassim also broke out of his slump. He wins Basel. He beats Hercoc in that final. I will have some words about that towards the end of the show. Also, some housekeeping. This is going to be a two Monday match analysis day. Whether you are watching on Monday, uh, perhaps it is late on Sunday. Uh, regardless, expect to see two Monday match analysis episodes dropping within short succession. This one is first and uh, the Paris Bear Sea preview is coming up later. But uh, let us begin with this Vienna final, which, as I mentioned, was an insanely good match that kind of sums up what we saw in Vienna, which is top players performing. Uh, you look at the quarterfinals, it was seven out of the top eight seeds. Borna Goyo beat Tommy Paul. That is the only top eight, uh, top eight seed upset that we saw in the week. And then, for the first time since 1992 in Vienna, the semifinals were comprised of the top four seeds. And I was thinking about why this may have happened other than it's a fluke, it's it's chance, it happens once in a while. But this time of year, post-US Open, as you've heard me say over and over and over again, and as you've likely observed, sometimes there's more unpredictability and top players aren't as consistent in terms of their ability to dominate post-US Open. So when you see something like this, which is the exact opposite of that, you do begin to wonder, okay, what does this mean? Is there a reason why it's going differently than how it's gone in the past? And the one thing that I can certainly say, and it's very evident just thinking about this, a lot of these top players are great on indoor hardcore, abnormally good on indoor hardcore. Daniil Medvedev, certainly. Yannick Sinner, absolutely. Stefano Tsitsipas, much better on indoor hardcourt than he is on outdoor hardcourt. Just look at his titles, and that much will be very, very clear. Andre Rublev is great indoors. He's won a ton indoors. I mean, those are the main guys. I don't think I don't think Zverev is better on indoor hardcourt than he is um, on in other conditions. Uh, Tiafo maybe not. Uh, Hachinov maybe not. Even though his biggest accomplishments. 
uh, or his biggest accomplishment was on an indoor hardcore. But yeah, you look at Sinner and Medvedev and Rublev and Tsitsipas, your semifinalists here. Indoor hardcore, they excel. So just wanted to throw that out there, but it's rare that we see after the U.S. Open not only that kind of chalkiness in the results, but also a big final between two elite players, both playing their peak level at the same time. I thought this was one of the best matches of the year. I think it was up there. To refresh, Beijing, big thing in that match, was Yannick Sinner building a short point advantage, zero through four shot rallies going Sinner's way, that being statistically the difference in the match, and that advantage largely being comprised of Sinner's ability to serve and volley and hit approach shots off of the first ball, apply maximum pressure uh, off the plus one as a result of that, and also having an exceptional forehand day uh, behind his first serve. Plus, in some big moments, there were some regulation backhand errors from Medvedev that loomed large. I talked a lot about the history of the the Sinner Medvedev head to head, and I talked about how a lot of the improvements that Sinner has made in certain aspects of his game outside of the ground strokes um, that helped him win that match against Medvedev that that played such a big role winning that match. I gotta say, I'm not worried. Sometimes I worry about repeating myself when something like this happens. Oh, it's the same matchup. They just played a couple of weeks ago. It's the same result. What am I going to say? Sometimes that happens. I'm not worried about that here at all. It's not a concern because this was a completely different story. Yes, it was Sinner Medvedev. Yes, Sinner won again. But the match was totally different, which is part of what makes this so fascinating. Because Sinner's serve and volley was shut down early. Medvedev sat on two wide serves on the deuce side in the early going, ripped two forehand cross-court passing shot winners off the return, ended up breaking serve. A little bit later on, there was another center serve and volley. Medvedev got the return so low that it nicked the, the net tape and center missed the volley, which was disrupted by it hitting the tape. It's another serve and volley loss. And, you know, those things happened early on and kind of, kind of scared Sinner off of that tactic to the point where it was mostly just used as a changeup for the remainder of the match. In addition to that, four-court execution in general was kind of lacking from Sinner. There were some big mistakes made by Yannick on volleys, on overheads, that I think had him, again, just shying away from coming forward all that often. It wasn't something that he really wanted to lean on because he lost confidence in the forecourt. Uh, not that he never came forward or that he was allergic to the net, but it wasn't something where he was really forcing his way in or uh, coming in with the mindset that he was going to be trying to come forward on most points. It clearly wasn't how he was playing it. Um, again, because I think there was a loss of confidence. Drop shots were successful, but relatively rare. And backhand slice was also successful, but even more rare. I only saw it a few times. So I just ran through a lot of the, the things that we look at as some of the pillars of mixing it up and variety and some of the things that we've talked about that can be effective against Medvedev because you want to break up that, that baseline game, that rhythmic baseline game that Medvedev excels in. 
But that's just not what this match was for Sinner. He actually had to play this one from the back of the court. He had to rally with Medvedev and figure out a way to win that way. And that's what was so different. Now, in the past, that is spelled doom for Yannick Sinner. Why? Because when Sinner uses his power against Medvedev, who is standing deep and is a great pace absorber, essentially, the way Sinner attacks does not break down Medvedev's defense. And then Daniil is the more consistent player. Daniil is the more physical player. Daniil had been the better server. And Daniil had won. He would get to Sinner's legs. He would make fewer mistakes. Yannick would struggle to finish. Yannick would overplay. That's what would happen from the back of the court. And there were a lot of patterns that were just great from Medvedev from the back. So here we go. Sinner's playing on Medvedev's terms that has never, ever worked. What changed here? Sinner did two things really, really, really well. He found sharp angles whenever the opportunity to do so was presented to him. And he changed direction constantly to the point where he was moving Medvedev sideline to sideline much more often than I've I've seen Yannick be able to do previously because that changing of direction was so prominent. Um, the more you're able to change, generally speaking, the more you get your opponent to run. And the more you get your opponent to run side by side, the less likely it is that they're going to be well positioned in the middle of the court by the time you hit the ball. If you don't get Medvedev out of position, his defense is too good. You're not going to find a way through him. You're not going to be able to get the ball by him. Sometimes you watch Sinner play and he's not breaking the sideline. All of his ground strokes are going through the baseline and he's attacking with pace. He's taking the ball early. He's hitting it really hard. And that's you know, a lot to deal with for 99% of the players just doesn't work very well against Djokovic, Zverev, and Medvedev and some of the great absorbers and defenders in the game. But you have to break the sideline. So Sinner did that really well. And I, I want to immediately kind of go to some examples of that. So this is, you know, just focus on Sinner getting Medvedev out of defensive position by using the angles. Here is uh, one, uh, three, one. Uh, Medvedev just got the first break of the match. Center cross court backhand. Look, it breaks the sideline. Now, this is a great shot. Um, it's going to be a great shot against anybody, not just Medvedev. But now Center does something also really good, which is against Medvedev's floating defense. He not only gets Medvedev off the center of the court, out of defensive position with the angle, but now he doesn't give Medvedev time to recover because he takes this out of the air for for a forehand drive volley inside in into the open court, and Daniil's not going to get there. It's a clean winner. Now it's love 40. This is actually the very next point. This is a plus one forehand for Medvedev where he's stepped inside the court 
and he's attacked with his forehand. And again, Sinner, beautiful job here, rolling this backhand cross court and breaking the sideline. Even though he wasn't in like an attacking position, the way Sinner hits this backhand is uh, is ideal against Medvedev. He's outside the single sideline once again, and he hits this backhand hard cross court, and Sinner can now redirect down the line. And this is just not like Medvedev's inside the baseline off the court. It's just not where he can use his speed and his defense to the best of his ability. And Sinner with the down the line backhand beautifully struck is enough to not win the point outright, but get another floater, which again, he steps inside the court. It's another forehand drive volley. And there's a lot of pace. Now he's at net. Medvedev's in a really rough position. And he hits this defensive desperation forehand long. Let's see another third set. This is off of a uh, center second serve. And Medvedev, the typical return strategy of Medvedev, let's just get this point started in neutral. So he's basically going to hit a backhand cross-court trade, which against most players, you have an even point. But the one thing right now is Daniil has not gotten to the point where he has recovered his position uh, up on the baseline, which he normally will do by by the third shot that he hits on a return. So usually it's return, maybe first shot after the return, and then after that he's going to work his way up to improve his position. He's not someone, you know, he doesn't play baseline rallies from the same position that he returns from. He always moves up from where he returns. Uh, but he's not quite up in the court right now. So Sinner recognizes that. He realizes, oh, this is actually a good spot to attack Medvedev with another short angle. Anything hard through the court is not going to be very effective based on Medvedev's defensive position. It's a good defensive position. If Sinner takes the the backhand down the line or the backhand hard cross, it's not really going to be that effective, but he just gives it a a little bit of a slow roller. And look at this angle he creates from this position. Now Medvedev is in trouble once again, and he takes this down the line uh, because he's in a desperate spot. This is long, but even if it wasn't long, the whole court's open, and Medvedev would have been in trouble anyway off of this center forehand. Even though it was a half volley, the entire court's open, and center would have hit this well. It would have been tough for Medvedev to win this point. Before I continue, I want to kind of go back to—it's a common theme. I always talk about this on the show. Hitting great angles is not a genius, brilliant idea, but it's hard to do. Okay, so it's not look at Sinner so smart that he realized that he should hit great backhand angles. Yes, there needs to be a commitment to doing it when you're a power player like Sinner, and that's not necessarily what you uh, normally default to. So Sinner gets credit for that. But I also think we need to also understand that the three backhands that I just played you from Sinner are backhands that righties typically do. Do not hit very well. On the forehand, where players generate more spin and usually just have better feel and control for the short angle, on the forehand, players open up better angles, generally speaking, whether it be from, you know, especially from the middle of the court, especially from inside the court. On the backhand, not so much. 
So for Sinner to find these angles with the backhand cross court to break the sideline and find offense from this position right here, a two-handed righty backhand, a create offense on the cross court from here, that's very rare. Sinner has a great left wrist. He gets a lot of left wrist lag on the backhand. It enables a lot of topspin on his two-hander, and it enables him to come around the left side of the ball, the outside of the ball, and create better angles than most are able to create off of the two-handed backhand. So I do want to make the point that Sinner technically is very good at this. A lot of righties would struggle to do this against Neil. Uh, you can also do it with the inside-out forehand. Quick example here in the second set. Sinner run around forehand. He decelerates his racket. He does not hit this hard. He does not hit this deep. He hits it short. He breaks the sideline. And look what it does to Medvedev, who, I'm backing it up here, Daniil is 10 feet behind the baseline. He wants you to hit it hard. Give me, the, give me your pace. Give me your pace. I'm ready for it. He wants that when he's 10 feet behind the baseline. And Sinner goes, nope, I'm not going to hit my inside-out forehand hard, big, through the baseline. I'm hitting it soft, slow, short, angle. Completely breaks the contact point of Medvedev. Not only does it break the contact point, it breaks his defensive positioning. I've highlighted where in the court Daniil Medvedev wants to be right now. And he's not there. He's too far in. He's not in the middle. And Sinner goes behind him for a forehand winner. So some of it was the angles. Some of it was the changing of direction. Now, you see it a lot, I think, in past matchups. Sinner has always been willing to take his forehand down the line often. Hasn't always been his best shot. And when he's off, sometimes he can struggle with the shot when he's not timing the ball well. Um, but when he's on, and especially when he's indoors, he's going to hit that shot pretty well. The backhand, for as good as it is, sometimes Yannick has been a little bit hesitant to take it down the line. And I'm going to show you a comparison here of what he did in Rotterdam. So look at Sinner's backhands in Rotterdam. They're just mostly going cross. You can see a massive bunch up of balls on the ad side where Sinner has just gone cross court. On 77% of his backhands, he's gone cross court. And he was way more keen on changing direction uh, here in Vienna. 36% down the line, 64% cross court. Look how different the court looks. Just focus in on the court. Look how different that looks. There's so much more down the line. So the constant changing of direction from Sinner and the sharp angles, uh, they wore down Medvedev and they compromised his defensive positioning to the point where Sinner found balls to attack with Medvedev out of position, which he could cash in on and he could finish those ground strokes. But you can do a lot of these things. It's not a shortcut for winning. Daniil Medvedev is still going to make you work extremely hard. He is still going to test your fitness. He is still going to test your consistency because even the most well-executed attacking baseline patterns, he's still going to be able to scramble in a way that's somewhat effective. So what happens when, yeah, you're doing all the right things against Medvedev, but he's still making a lot of balls back in play? Now it comes down to are you fit enough to play the physical rallies point in and point out? And are you consistent enough 
to have the shot tolerance, point in and point out, when Medvedev is making ball after ball after ball against you. It doesn't matter how good your changing of direction your angles are. It doesn't matter how good your, your patterns are. Medvedev is still so good, he's going to be able to find a way to extend rallies against you. Well, in the third set, those moments came where they were playing really long, lung-busting rallies. And Sinner's consistency was put to the test, and Sinner's fitness was put to the test. And God, he passed the test. And you know he passed the test because what happened at the beginning of the third set? Medvedev got tired. Yes, Sinner was tired. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it got hyper-physical. So I'm not going to say Sinner didn't get tired. That certainly happened. But Medvedev got tired. And usually what happens before Medvedev gets tired is whoever he's playing cracks and breaks. Normally that occurs before the Medvedev tired part. Sinner was able to push so hard that he got Medvedev in the red physically. So when Medvedev gets to a point where now he's tired, we've covered this before in some really big matches, what happens? When Daniil decides, okay, now I actually need to look to finish points because I'm starting to really feel it. That happened at the beginning of the third set. Now Daniil needs to finish points efficiently. Now he needs to play quick points. He really only has one way to do that. And it's his first serve. Sinner's return kind of shut down Medvedev's first serve in the third set. Sinner's return, which I think the world of. And it performed incredibly well in this match. Medvedev in the third set only got 25% of his first serves unreturned. First serves in play. Three-fourths of them came back. That's a lot lower than where Medvedev usually is or where he wants to be. So those free points dried up. And then what? Now we have a tired Medvedev who's not getting free points. What happens here? Usually, it's it spells doom for Daniil. Usually. You watch that third set how long the points were and how Sinner was exploding into the corners, you know, still able to maintain his, his quickness around the court and his rally tolerance. This was a display of fitness that was probably, and I know they're indoors and there's no weather and it's best of three, but this was the best display of fitness I've ever seen from Yannick Sinner. And yeah, like sometimes between the points, he'll start limping and he looks tired and he's exhausted, uh, you know, kind of like we saw against Zverev at the U.S. Open. But if you really look at what he was doing during the points, this was unbelievable fitness from Sinner. And to me, that's one of the headlines here. Easily one of the headlines here is that they went toe-to-toe -to -toe and played a crap ton of long rallies at the beginning of the third set. And Sinner was able to be tough enough in those kinds of points where he actually got to Medvedev's lungs. When you get to Medvedev's lungs, you severely diminish what he is as a player. That was a big deal at the start of the third set. Got to talk about Sinner's serve. 
I don't think it was a massive factor in the second and the third set, but in the first set, it was bullet point number one, easily. Yannick has worked really hard, and his goal is, I want a first serve that can bail me out under pressure. I want a first serve that is good enough where there are a lot of pressure points that I just hit a great serve and I don't even need to play the point. Like, that's the goal. That's the dream. That's what you want. Sinner's never really had that. He had that in this first set. He really, really had it. Uh, I don't know. Should I start with this awesome stat or should I start with the specifics of the first set? Let me give you this stat first, okay? How well is Yannick Sinner serving right now? And remember after, I, I forget exactly when it was. It might have been the U.S. Open, but I, I walked through some of the changes that Sinner made in his serve technique, and I was like, hmm, let's see if this works, you know? Like, we'll see. I, actually, do you know what it was? It was uh, after he won Canada. It was okay. Uh, served great this week, but we got to see long-term what the results are. Well, here are the results long-term. If you take the sample size of 2023 and you look at first serve percentage, I made a list of Yannick Sinner's highest first serve percentage matches of 2023. I shouldn't say I made a list. I just looked up what is the stat? What are the rankings here? So let me give you the top seven, all right? The seven Highest first serve percentage matches that Sinner has had this year. Number one, Vienna versus Sinego, 83%. Number two, Vienna versus Shelton, 80%. Number three, Adelaide versus Kokonakis, 74. Number four is Shanghai versus Shelton. Number five was this final, Vienna versus Medvedev. Number six, Shanghai versus Giron. And number seven, Vienna versus Tiafo which uh, is a typo. It should say 69%. Do I need to spell it out? I spell it out in the tweet, but a lot of Vienna, huh? A lot of Shanghai, huh? Six out of Sinner's seven best first serve performances by percentage have come in October. Six out of seven. Now, let's zoom in on the first set. This is the fruits of Yannick Sinner's labor on the serve. Medvedev had a set point at 30-40. Sinner saved the set point with the service winner, T. That game went to deuce. Sinner played four points from there. He made four first serves in a row. He had a service winner. He had a plus one forehand finish. And he had a serve and volley, which set up a very easy volley, to hold. We go to the tiebreak as Sinner in that game holds for six all. In the tiebreak, Sinner's last six service points were all won within two swings of the racket. There were four unreturned serves, there were two plus one finishes. And they were mostly first serves, but there was one of those plus one finishes where it was actually on a Second serve that was so slow that the ball actually got down on Medvedev. It got low on Medvedev. Daniil hit a very soft second serve return 
off of a powder puff second serve, and Sinner crushed the first forehand for either a forced error or a winner. So the serve absolutely carried in that first set tiebreak. And by the way, there was a second set point at 6-7 in the tiebreak. That was an ace. So you have two set points. You have a service winner. You have an ace. Sinner made 81% of his first serves in the opening set. Let's not let's not make any mistake about what this first set was about. At this point in time, Sinner did not have any discerning advantage in the rallies. It was very competitive from the back of the court, off the ground. You know, the, the ground stroke battle it was very competitive. But there was no advantage for Sinner here. Sinner used his serve. His serve bailed him out. Like, that's it. It was a really, really close set. And every time Sinner needed something, the first serve was there to not only give it to him, but give it to him in a very easy and straightforward manner. That's what this first set was about. Now, there is one other detail that I want to highlight. Um, I did talk about in the Beijing breakdown how Sinner more and more realized that on the deuce side, he needed to hit the wide serve. And in Rotterdam, he hit mostly T. And then in Miami, he was 50-50. And then in Beijing, he was majority wide on the deuce side. Medvedev clearly came out for this match and was like, all right, buddy, I see what's happened here. And I'm just going to completely take away the wide serve. And to Medvedev's credit, he did it so well. He was leaning wide. And when Sinner was going wide, Medvedev was meeting it with great forehand returns. It took Sinner a while in the first set to start to go, to start to realize, all right, I do need to continue to be unpredictable because now I have an opponent in Medvedev who's just cheating, who's just waiting for me to go out wide. So at this point, yeah, maybe I need to go T here and I need to hit some hard T serves. And as soon as he figured that out, and uh, as soon as he figured that out, the T serve was actually incredibly effective in the first set. So that was another big, uh, big detail. So if I'm simplifying and, and synthesizing, I thought Sinner's uh, baseline patterns combined with his consistency and fitness and general toughness from the back of the court uh, to get to Medvedev's legs, to make him tired, to start to make Daniil force the issue. Well, I thought that was the main advantage for Yannick in the third set. Uh, I just feel like the first set was, a again, a super close set where Sinner serving was really the storyline. In the second set, which is the set that Medvedev won, uh, I thought Sinner did really struggle with the finishes in some key spots that, that hurt him. You know, the volley execution and the overhead execution, which, as I mentioned at the top, uh, wasn't stellar in the match as a whole. I just think, you know, in pressure situations, it came up a couple times. Offensive positions from Sinner at two all, three points in a row, loses all three points. He gets his serve broken. And then there's a second break at 2-4 where Sinner mistimed a couple forehands. But at 30-40, he had an overhead to, to get it back to Deuce. And he snapped down that overhead into the net. Side note, this isn't the second set, it was the first set, but the first break of serve that got it to 3-1 early in the first set, Sinner missed two overheads in that game, resulting in the first break of the match. 
Now, this is part of the benefit that Medvedev gains from being such a great baseliner, from taking players out of their comfort zone. When you have a guy like Yannick coming into a match and being like, well, I need to come forward a ton, and it's not necessarily what he loves to do all the time, well, you know, you you get the benefit from that, and sometimes you have a sinner who is off in the forecourt and not executing in the forecourt, um, and that becomes a problem for them. You know what I mean? So, like, Medvedev does deserve some credit whenever a player is who's not an amazing volleyer is coming forward and screwing up volleys and overheads. Part of that is, like, what... Part of that is the Medvedev effect. Taking players out of their comfort zone. You know? There was also a moment in the second set where Medvedev's serve really shifted the momentum of the match and the set. Where it was 1-2 deuce. And on the 40-30 point, which Sinner won, Medvedev got pissed at Yannick for not apologizing. There was a net cord. And I just didn't really think the net cord really affected the point much, even though Sinner hit a winner on the next ball. But Medvedev, who I think was trying to get into Sinner's head slash trying to fire himself up, he took offense by Sinner's non-apology, ended up hitting uh, three unreturned serves on the next four points and broke the next game. That next game was the the, the two-all game that I, that I told you about. So that's the microanalysis of the second set. If I'm zooming out and I'm saying, okay, it was a close match. Medvedev was very, very close to winning the first set. He won the second point, And he should have gotten it back on serve, by the way, in the third set. Because Sinner hit a really bad drop shot on break point trying to serve out the match. And boy, did Medvedev blow an easy forehand on top of the net. So it was a close match. What were some of the things that Medvedev was doing well? There... You know, he was playing cleaner in general. Like there was a consistency advantage for Medvedev because uh you know, I think when he was getting Sinner to run into his forehand corner, Yannick like Medvedev knows that if he gets Sinner moving into the deuce side, sometimes Sinner is going to overplay on that running forehand. Especially because Sinner was trying to go down the line so often when he was on the move to his right. Medvedev was getting a lot of errors just by hitting really good quality cross-court forehands. I also think that Medvedev found some success just playing slow and low to Sinner's backhand. And there were some spots, maybe when Sinner was feeling some pressure or when Sinner was feeling some fatigue in long rallies, where when he felt like he really needed to do something with his two-hander, like he was trying to kind of force the issue offensively with his two-hander off of the slower Medvedev balls, that was another area where I think Sinner did miss a lot. So Medvedev found those two, you know, those those interesting kind of patterns where, where Sinner could miss. Also, I think Medvedev had a nerve management advantage. And so often we are talking about the winning player being more clutch or being superior mentally Folks, I mean, it's not always the case. And this was a match where from Medvedev, on Medvedev's side, I saw him playing mostly the same level no matter what the scoreboard said. Medvedev, you know, did have a dip in the third set, but I, I think it, it was because he got exhausted. 
His mistakes were mostly from being tired, not from getting nervous. And the performances on the big points, the performances when Medvedev had an opportunity, I mean, other than Sinner serve dominating on a lot of these big points, I thought Medvedev was fine. But on the other side of the net, most of Sinner's poor ground stroke errors, the mistakes where you just look at Yannick and you go like, all right, that was gift wrapped. Most of those in the match came when there was tension. I just felt like Sinner created so many opportunities for himself that wasting a bunch of them didn't end up costing him. But the nerve management is an aspect where I, I actually thought Medvedev was uh, was a little bit steadier under pressure. Conclusion, uh, Beijing might have been the first time that Sinner beat Medvedev, but this was the first time Sinner has ever beaten him from the baseline. And that's extraordinarily uh, significant. And it's extremely impressive how well he was able to play from the back in, in so many aspects of, uh, of the baseline game. Because other than the drop shots, a lot of the variation just didn't work. And Sinner still won, which is incredible. Okay, FAA in Basel. He wins the title. It's pretty out of nowhere. I mean, yeah, he won back-to-back -back matches in Tokyo. Hadn't won back-to-back -back matches since March until Tokyo. But lost pretty badly in the quarterfinal to Marcos Giron. So it wasn't exactly like a, a feel-good result in Tokyo. If you look at the, the whole part of it. So here comes Felix going into Basel. And if he doesn't defend his title... He drops out of the top 20 for the first time since June of 2021. And since the start of clay court season, again, this is coming in. His record was 4-12 and coming into Basel. 4-12 and since the start of clay. And he wins the title. That at face value is unbelievable. This is a, an enormous feel-good story for Felix. Where... I mean, I imagine there's just such a weight off of his shoulder, right? You feel like, oh, I, I can do this. The the memory of a tennis player and the confidence of a tennis player, it's fickle, it's short. And if you haven't done it recently, I, I'm sure those doubts, um, clearly the doubts were were creeping in for Felix in a big way. And uh, this, this is huge for him to get back on track. But uh, to me, that's just what this was. It was a building block en route to getting on track because the reality is, and this is the part that if you're a Felix fan and you want to kind of hear me be like super positive about what this was, unfortunately, you're not going to get it from me because I just have to be honest about what I saw. And to me, while this was a building block, it, it, it's not a destination. This isn't Felix is back. This isn't Felix has arrived. This isn't Felix played a top 10 level again. For me, he just didn't prove any of that. Because I don't think this was as impressive as it would appear to be at face value. He plays Leandro Reedy in the first round. I watched every point of that match. I called that match. Leandro Reedy is a really talented ball striker, but he very much played like he's like his ranking 162 in the world and he did not outplay 162 in the world that's how he played Vanda Zanschulp second round didn't see that one 
But I know that Botic has really struggled since March, since Munich, not not March. I meant Munich. Shevchenko. Now him I'm high on. I think Shevchenko's playing great tennis. I think he's going to have a really, really big 2024. He's one of my players to watch, most certainly. Will Shevchenko serve for the match? If Shevchenko just handled his nerves a little bit better, then he would have probably won the match. But FAA ended up winning it in a third set tiebreak. Runa in the semis. He no-showed. Like physically and, and mentally, he was completely out of it. It was an awful performance by Holger because it, it just didn't seem like he had any legs. So it was kind of back to low percentage, zero uh, zero shots, like high percentage shot selection from Holger whatsoever. It, you know, it was just back to being that guy for, for Holger Runa. It was a no-show. And then Hercotch... Kind of the same thing. I don't know what happened, but Hubie didn't really want to move on return games. It seemed like something was wrong physically, like he had some sort of leg issue or something. So, like, Hercotch wasn't moving. And he served well enough, evidently, to get it to two tie breaks. Again, I do think Felix's serve was really good, especially in the first set. I do think the forehand was on point and on the money. But if you watch the semis and you watched the final, and you watched the Shevchenko match, I don't know how you feel like Felix was amazing in Basel. Like, I, I'm sorry. If you watched those matches, I don't know how you, how you feel that way. Because, and this is rare, and this is fluky, and it's not Felix's fault, and it's weird how this happens, but Felix had... A guy in the quarters who just couldn't handle the, the moment and the nerves. Then he had a guy in the semis who was just physically done. And then he had a guy in the finals who was just physically done. It's like they just dropped like flies in front of Felix. And uh, and FA handled business and won the title. Like, again, this isn't Felix's fault. But all I'm saying is this might have been a little bit of fool's gold. And this comes from somebody who thinks that Felix Ojealiasim is going to return to being a top 10 player at some point. I repeat, I repeat, and I'll be very clear. I think Felix will return to the top 10 at some point. But would I submit this run as evidence for that? No, I would not. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.